Welcome to Sarcoma Soundbites with Brian and Bob, an Oncology Learning Network podcast. Good afternoon. This is uh, Bob Mackey at the University of Pennsylvania, along with Brian Van Tyne. And I'm at Washington University in St. Louis, and this is Sarcoma uh, Tidbits with Brian and Bob. I think that, you know, our focus for today should be Ewing's, given the amount of data that came out. I mean, there is a lot that goes on within this one disease, because it really isn't one no, disease. No, indeed. It's, uh, you know, despite having the unique translocation that's associated with most of them. There, there are certainly variations of the theme, and we certainly know that uh, the uh, adults uh, behave a lot differently than, uh, than kids do, don't they? And, you know, and that and the distributions of the alternative translocations seem to happen a lot more in the adult side than in the pediatric side. But, you know, we extrapolate all the data from these large pediatric trials onto the adult population, and, you know, is that the right thing to do? Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's a difficult question, that's for sure. I mean, uh, perhaps the best example to discuss around that would be compression. The, the uh, COG study looking at compressed schedule two weeks versus three weeks of, uh, um, of uh, chemotherapy for, for uh, primary Ewings, um, where there was definitely benefit to the two-week compression for kids, but not necessarily so much for adults. Clinical practice, no matter how much I want to compress a schedule in an adult, they don't have the bone marrow to do it. And so it's, you know, you lose the ability to do something that's quite amazing as you get older, just because I think you yeah. are older. Certainly one factor in the, uh, what, what's different about the adult tumors, most of those happen in the soft tissue versus the primary Ewing sarcomas, which are usually in the bone in kids, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting problem because everybody thinks that young sarcoma is a pediatric disease, and that's one of the more common things I see in clinical practice. Absolutely. Well, I, I guess the, we may as well dig in on that, uh, that first abstract, which I, I think was uh, appropriately the, uh, the most important one of the, uh, the session, I have to say. Oh, I'd agree. I think that the one we should probably talk about first is looking at whether VIDE or VDC versus IE is actually should be standard of care. And I think that, you know, our colleagues have done this heroic effort bringing together, you know, institutions from around the world to get a large enough study together that actually allowed for something with power. And I, I would have never thought of the question myself. You know, I thought these things were going to be equivalent. The uh, U.S. schedule, if you want to call it that, of uh, and Christine Doctrips and Cytoxan alternating with iphosphamide etoposide versus the VIDE, kind of putting everything together, throwing out the cytoxin and giving that as a, as a single regimen, which is the European standard um, that we really took, uh, like you said, a huge organizational effort um, as has been done for osteosarcoma as well, um, but to organize that around Ewing sarcoma, extremely uh, useful and uh, obviously now that we have the data, I'm a very uh, productive uh, study at that. Yeah, no, I think it's quite interesting that, you know, the the winner becomes sort of the American standard that we're used to, which is VDC alternating with IE. And it is interesting that, you know, by using two different nitrogen mustards within the regiment, this may be part of why uh, we're seeing a difference, but no one's actually done that as a single agent study. Yeah, there have been comparative studies over the years looking at um, iphosphamide versus cyclophosphamide, for example, right? And uh, those really have not... Uh, um, shown very much across soft tissue sarcomas, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think that, you know, we got an answer. And it's nice to have an answer. And where I don't know how much that's going to affect American practice, I think it's going to ricochet around the world as kind of practice changing. 
absolutely. And you know, certainly the, the regimen is, is straightforward enough to give. Um, I guess a couple of questions I might have for you is, do you make any modifications in, in adults who are getting this regimen? We've got the ifosamide and etoposide at nine grams per meter squared over five days, and the etoposide is 500 um, over five days. Is there a way to you know, keep people from having to come in five days in a row? Do you compress that? You know, I would throw that back at you with a slightly different question. What do you do with people over 60? Because I traditionally don't give a lot of ifosamide, especially like this, to people over 60, even in a curative regimen. I'm still using that older data that said you could just use, you know, the VDC, VAC in the older population. And this is that other group of viewings. You know, am I doing something wrong? But I also balance that with the toxicity where I almost don't feel it's safe to do. No, I agree. It's hard to give ifosamide above age 60. Um, that's for sure. Um, I would really have to turn down the doses in, in uh, patients like that, I think. Just do the kind of approach. Um, do you think we need to give all 17 cycles, you know, either 34 weeks on the compressed schedule or a year of chemotherapy, kind of the traditional pediatric uh, realm? I have a hard time getting my adult patients through um, all of that. No, I, I know that the battle with the adult patients starts around cycle 10. Uh, just because this is not an easy regimen, it's one thing uh, where you're younger. But is it because we cut those cycles in the older people that the data actually shows that they don't do as well? Is it the disease, which is just different? I don't think we know. I also wish we could just get away from all these agents, but the problem is they work. There we go. I don't think we're leaving uh, chemotherapy land anytime soon for, for Ewing's, but uh, it's good to see that our, our standard of care in the U.S. Uh, makes it, certainly makes it easier for us uh, here in the U.S. To, to maintain that, that's for sure. No, absolutely. And it's, it's really nice that, you know, it's nice to have the data. And it's nice to have one disease where there's a, what I would call the equivalent of a cure rate. And it's a long-term cure rate. It's also a very long treatment. Um, but you know, we don't have a lot of things where if we do something, we know that 70 to 80% of people are going to be alive 10%, 10 years later. And, and like I said, you can begin to transition over to one of the other abstracts. Um, the, the idea that even with metastatic disease uh, with Ewing's, there is a measurable cure rate with um, chemotherapy, surgery, and radiation uh, for the primary site. That uh, we, we knew that ever since, the, let's say, the whole Comgur study back in 2003, which first added ifosfamide uh, toposide to, to VAC or CAV, depending on um, what you like to call it there. And you know, that much has been, uh, has been pretty interesting also. <laughs> I, I think that, you know, you have to approach every Ewing's patient with, the, with, the, with their shot at cure and just not assume just because they're stage four presentation that, you know, it's a game over move. You actually have to treat the patient and not undershoot. So that, that metastatic disease uh, setting also you know, brings up a couple of issues. Uh, number one, what can we do to help those folks out? And uh, that, that gets to at least one of the papers, at least tangentially, by using high-dose therapy for patients with Ewing sarcoma. And there have been a number of uh, studies looking at this, phase two and randomized studies, that have been uh, difficult to perform just because uh, it's a small number of patients, oftentimes looked at um, in, in the relapse setting versus the primary setting, a challenging group of patients where uh, you since there's so few, you need to accrue patients over many years. And so does high-dose therapy really benefit patients or not, it's a, a challenging question. 